You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Why don't our franchise characters ever stay dead? Was Superman really a Christ figure? And was Jesus's death really a sacrifice if he knew he was going to be able to defeat death? Hey guys, happy Easter. Of course, if we're going to start doing these one shots, we occasionally do like comics where we have one big episode and have a bunch of us on at once. What better time for a Christian podcast to start than Easter? And as always, we're never going to just settle for easy things. We're going to make this difficult and talk about the hard questions. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm really excited for this one, guys. This is Systematic Geekology. We are the priest of the geeks. And when we say that, if this is your first episode, we don't mean that we're all ordained. We rather just mean that we are the mediators between your favorite fandoms and Christendom. And today, it's going to be heavy on both. We're going to be talking about any fandom as far as, you know, anime, comics, whatever, as it has to deal with resurrections. And then we're going to talk about why Jesus's resurrection mattered, which pretty big topics. So strap in, get ready. I'm Joshua Knoll. I am... Um, I'm a recent grad student from North Greenville University, a biblical studies grad student, um, joined with TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell, the greatest co-host podcaster of all time, also co-host of the Whole Church Podcast, Christian Ashley, um, your favorite seminary student, now that Brandon Knight's graduated, um, <laughs> uh, no, your favorite seminary student, as well as the host of host of the Let Nothing Move You podcast, and then, of course, your favorite Lutheran pastor. So not all of us are priests, but one of us are. Will Rose, uh, pastor of the Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He's got a special Easter intro he wants to add on here, too, right? Yeah. Hey, everybody. Happy Easter. And, you know, since I am a Lutheran minister or uh, a minister within the liturgical uh, tradition of liturgical churches and church seasons and church years, we acknowledge that Easter is the chief of all festivals of all seasons. If we didn't have Easter, we wouldn't have the rest of the calendar, the rest of the seasons. Everything hinges on Easter. So we have a saying on Easter morning when we get up and we gather, whether it's sunrise or whether whatever worship service you go to, uh, the first thing we say is Christ is risen and the whole community chimes back. He is risen indeed. So I'm going to try that now with, with my co-host here. I'm going to say Christ is risen and then you guys are going to respond. He is risen, risen indeed all together as one. So Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Risen indeed. Uh, oh wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that kind of worked, but um, but but yeah, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Listen. So so happy Easter, everybody. It's it's, yeah. it's my favorite holiday. So yeah. we're good. Happy Easter. Uh, definitely in the top five. Um, I have to counter <laughs> Will and say it's not the most important holiday. Obviously, that's Thanksgiving, where you have time to be thankful for both Jesus's birth and death. Why just choose one when you could be thankful for all of it? And we're going to jump mm. into this. <laughs> mm. Mm. Listen, listen. If we're going to do a holiday special, I got to talk about the greatest holiday, naturally. We're going to jump into this. We're going we to would not have this. the Eucharist, which is great for Thanksgiving, if it was not for Easter. So, you know, what came first, the chicken or the Easter egg? We don't, you know. <laughs> All I know is uh, what perfected it. I can be thankful for the Eucharist, too. There we go. Thanksgiving. Boom. <laughs> All Eucharist holidays giving. can fall into. <laughs> we're off to a great okay, start. Okay, guys. Guys, we're gonna jump. We're gonna jump into the actual topic. We're talking about resurrections. Um, if you've been a part of any fandom at all, probably I can think of a couple exceptions. Weirdly enough, I think One Piece might be an exception. Maybe uh, if you've been part of any fandom at all, you know that characters have a tendency to not stay dead. 
Like they kind of always come back to life and seem to never age in comic books for some reason. Um, so we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about our favorite characters who have died and come back and why those resurrections matter, what those stories were, what they're trying to say. Then we're going to talk about Jesus later on, you know, save the best for last, I guess. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's start with, um, well, let, let's go around first and just kind of say, as, as far as things go, what, like, what interests you most when we're talking about resurrections? Just really quick, TJ. What a question. What a I mean, the fact that they're back usually is what interests me the most yeah. and the why. Yeah. And I think, the how. I think the why is a big thing. Yeah. I remember um, the end of Sherlock season two. We all knew he came back like he didn't die, but none of us knew how he didn't die. And that was like a big thing was the how. Yeah. Christian. I mean, for me, it's what now after that resurrection? Yeah. I mean, when I was writing my fourth book, which is entitled Resurrection Life, it's the the character who comes back to life. Like, what does this mean for me? I was dead. And now what am I supposed to do with the life I have now? So like, what can that character do that they couldn't do before? Or what do they have to do to same? Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's a big one for, for the Jesus topic too. Um, it's interesting how often we tend to just be like, all right, and he came back. Isn't that cool? <laughs> um, <laughs> Will. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to think about, um, like the difference between resuscitation and resurrection. So there are those who have been dead and have been brought back. Think Lazarus, think comic book heroes, think your favorite character in a soap opera. All of a sudden they show back up and like, how did that happen? You know? And and so (laughs) you think, but they're going to die again. You know, they're going to go to the grave at least at some point. They're still, they're, they're still um, mortal, right? They, they still have finitude to, to deal with. But when you think of like resurrection, um, there's a whole different theological layer when it comes to what happened to Jesus, who we claim to be the Christ. So he was resurrected never to die again, never to go through that again, back to the Godhead, the Trinity, those kinds of things. So so when I talk about these things, you're like, yeah, there are certain characters who die and stay dead. And then there's those who die and then come back. But will they ever die again? Or are they immortal? Are they God? Are they, are they divine? Like those kind of distinctions I tend to think about. So even when that big character reveal on the last page of a comic book of a villain <laughs> or a hero that, oh my gosh, I thought they were dead. They're back. What happened? We know at some point they're they're not immortal per se. Uh, they, they're still uh, beatable. They're still fallible. But then what it is about also that, that sets Christ's resurrection apart from that defeated death or no longer le- allows death to have it sting or hold or have the final word on my life in the future. So those are the things I like to play around with and think about when I think about um, kind of the topic of, of resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, um, it's definitely something we're going to talk about as we go forward. You know, you have some characters that uh, don't stay dead. Deadpool. I mean, does he really ever die? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but first I, I think, we should start with the most difficult characters to talk about when we're talking about resurrection on Easter and everybody expects us to talk about a bunch of characters and compare them to Jesus. Instead, let's start with our villains that come back to life. Um, I think the most notorious fun one is, is one I want TJ to talk about. Uh, TJ, you want to, you want to mention Darth Maul perhaps? Man, I thought you were leading into uh, Palpatine because you like Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) I don't like Rise of Skywalker. I only like the last Jedi. Oh gosh. But I love Darth Maul and he so it's complicated because he didn't really die. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. You know, once we found that out, he was he was no longer dead. 
he was resuscitated. He was resuscitated. Yeah. But yeah, man, what a resuscitation it was. Yeah. I know that one was particularly meaningful to you though, right? Like, cause just cause he's cool or. Yeah. Just cause he's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very and I know, and we've talked before more about that character, but that's just the one that sticks out in my mind the most outside of what I'm going to talk about in a second that maybe not everybody knows. We'll see. Um, but let's go Will next. Will, do you know of a villain that came back to life that, that you, you want to talk about an uplift that you found interesting? Yeah, I'll, I'll go the Palpatine route, route because, oh, you know, I'm I, 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 not interesting that I was like super happy with it. That's my favorite thing. But like the, the whole the whole, you know, sequel trilogy of Star Wars, as much as I love Star Wars, there's moments that, that are peak Star Wars that I love a lot. But but man, there are a lot of missteps, too, in the sense of like what story are you trying to tell or, or try to surprise the audience with or <laughs> to go down the road of like, oh, man, I can't believe it. And that part of our reason that we're like, oh, no, I can't believe it is because like, uh, we don't want to believe it. Could you have done something else cooler than that or something uh, rather than referring going all the way back? I mean, I, I kind of get it there. I don't hate the Rise of Skywalker like like a lot of fandom does. I, there are parts I really like and, and I see what they're trying to do and kind of course correct. But I, the whole Palpatine thing playing around with that whole idea going all the way back to his conversation with with Anakin at the opera about, you know, uh, having control over death or con- being immortal that, you know, it seems like, you know, even in our culture, we wrestle with death that we we hide it away in funeral homes or or um, you know we don't we don't face it. We like to do everything we can to escape it or hide from it or deny it, but but it's inevitable to everybody. So that that's interesting to me. Um, and then and then I also say like you know talk about villain like I I love the zombie driven genre zombie genre in a sense that man talk about villains who are coming back from the dead or coming after you, man that's that freaks me out. I don't like that at all. All right. Well, Will listed a few million characters just then, so I think it's Christian. Yeah. <laughs> Christian, do you have any any villains that have, have come back from the dead? I've got you, two. You wanna, okay. I'll do my primary I'll allow first. To. Maybe yes. I'll allow to. We'll see. I always cheat. <laughs> so what the first one that came to mind, it was actually the one I'll talk about second, but when I did more digging into this, I remembered something I'd forgotten about in the Justice League Unlimited series where – uh, eventually, Luthor is leading the uh, Secret Society of Villains or whatever they called it, the Injustice Society, I think. And they are going to try and resurrect Brainiac because Luthor wants that god power <laughs> that he got from that. But yeah. he tricks Tala and is going to sacrifice her as part of this ritual. And out of spite, because if you'll remember, back where Brainiac died, another villain died. And that villain is the one she resurrects, and that's Darkseid. Mm-hmm. And he comes back with a vengeance. And to the point yeah. where they're all debating their moral codes of like, can we kill this man for good? Like Superman gives his great impassioned speech about the world of cardboard <laughs> that he has to deal with. It is one of the best moments in the DCAU because of that. And it wouldn't have happened if he hadn't been brought back to life. Mm. All right. Okay. I guess I'll let you do the second one then. <laughs> Thank you. And my second one is in from a movie literally entitled Resurrection F. And that would be Frieza coming back to life after being brought back by the, I mean, yeah, the dragon balls and his just power as a villain remains over time as the best dragon ball has to offer. And because like, we'll get to the fans, why they wanted them back later on uh, when we discussed that question, but his presence comes back and he's learned because he never trained before this moment and losing to Goku dying 
and then it's going to be ending dying to future trunks causes him to train for the first time in his life. And he comes back as a threat. Mm-hmm. And then later on, briefly, he's brought back again to fight in the tournament of power and brought back permanently this time around. So, and some recent things have happened in the manga that suggest he may be even stronger than before. And cooler and King cold. It's a family thing. They all come back. <laughs> okay. All right. I, you know, a lot of that was like uh, Latin to me. I, I understood some of the words. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the fun with these one shots. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't have to know all of these. Yeah. You got to bring up something I wouldn't have brought up. I don't know if you guys would have brought this up or not, but the one that stands out the most to me personally, uh, of course, we're going to go to middle earth. Sauron. Who, who's defeated a few different times. Yeah. Um, he is, which I, I guess I can do two for Middle Earth then, since you did two. Um, Sauron is first, well, not first, but you know he's defeated once by the, the Numenorians, and it actually causes him to lose his ability to kind of change shape, and that's when he starts looking as evil as he really is, which is why the guy you see in Rings of Power looks so different than the guys you see in The Lord of the Rings. Not mm. given a spoiler, but given a spoiler. That That's just... That's why that happens. But the more the cooler defeat is when he's actually killed. But because of the power in the rings, because of the lingering spirit of evil in men's heart, and that just kind of stays there, the greed that's left behind allows him to kind of retain presence in Earth as the Eye of Sauron. And that's pretty cool as far as like not fully resurrected. So that doesn't completely count. But it was cool, this idea that he could have been resurrected simply by people holding on to evil in their hearts and allowing him to control them. Fun concept. Um, the other one, of course, is Morgoth, <laughs> the, the, the one who created Sauron. Uh, he was defeated in the first or second age? Second age. He's second age by the other Valar. Uh, but there is a prophecy in the first legendarium, for those who don't know, uh, Tolkien J.R.R. Tolkien wrote a couple different versions of the Silmarillion and different lore and stuff. Some of it his son took out or replaced or decided didn't really count, which is why I'm not a huge fan of his son, but that's leave that alone. One of those was a prophecy of Morgoth returning in the fourth age, and it very much mimics kind of the biblical story where the beast and the, uh, the false prophet fell into the pit and comes back to be defeated for a final time. And that's when I'm like, yeah. Yeah, because evil still lingers. We still all recognize that there is still the presence of evil in this world. And it coming back so that we can have that final victory is actually a really important mark in the story, which is why I I wish it was still more canon. I guess it's canon-ish now. Ish. You know. You know that goes. Lord of the Rings is a weird idea. Well, I kind of see it as like, what if one day after I die, my kids find my notes to my sermon, but not my sermon, <laughs> and then try to create a, a sermon out of like my chicken scratch notes, and then put it out there, and people are like, this isn't as good as the sermon. It's like, of course not. It was just my notes. It was my brainstorming. So I think like, Chris was showing some, some you know, hey, this is just dad's notes and brainstorm. They're not, all, not everything he said is canon. Like, he's not the, uh, you know, Pope of Middle Earth, I guess. But anyway, my criticism with Chris is is more that J.R.R. Tolkien had a much more looser grasp on his IP and liked the idea of people building onto it and changing it later on and said, none of this is concrete. And Chris kind of came in understandably and decided, nope, it's all concrete now. No one can change anything ever, (laughs) which, you know, it's his dad's work. He he felt some kind of way about it. 
makes sense. But I like JR's version better where, hey, let's uh, let's hold this a little more loosely and let people create new things. with it. Kind of like the church and the canon of scripture is what you're saying. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Also, like what we're seeing with Rings of Power right now that everybody's mad about. Everybody who's yeah. mad is just playing off of Chris. I'm that's with J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> change it all. <laughs> we have to change copyright laws and public domain laws to where after 25 years, it's in the public domain because yes. that's enough time for the estate to settle. So people named Chris can't get in our way. That's what it is. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, all of our Chris listeners. Um, <laughs> Chris listeners. <laughs> it's funny as I know we have a few. Um, There's a Chris Prime out there somewhere who's like, hey. <laughs> they so, the only one. TJ, did you have any other villain resurrections you wanted to bring up? Uh, Sinestro died once. Mm. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. I know I had more. Oh, I know who Sinestro is. Sorry, it took me a second. <laughs> Vegeta, technically. Uh, it kind of happens a lot in Dragon Ball. Cell. Yeah. <laughs> kind of happens a lot in Dragon Ball. Happens a lot in comics, too. <laughs> sure does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Blackest Why? Night. Every dead villain came back for Blackest Night. <laughs> I actually read that finally. So because of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is not a podcast of uh, right now. We're not doing a lot of recommendations, but if you're a Green Lantern fan and if you haven't read Blackest Night, man, you're missing out on something. That's a good one. There's so many one. words, though. Be warned. There are so many words in those There's comments. A lot of words. They're a little Jeff, rough for me. Jeff Johns um, does some writing. Yeah. Jeff Johns is a little hard for me. Not, not my style. I, I thought it was good, but I was like, man, I don't want to read this much when I'm doing comics. <laughs> Reading. Um. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna start with TJ for the, the follow-up to this then. Why do we, since you mentioned Dragon Ball does it a lot, why do we see bad guys come back so often? Is there something like in the hearts of men that just want bad guys to stay around? Well, I think for a lot of IPs, it's mostly the star power. Like we want them back. If they come back, people will watch for sure. Yeah. That's why Frieza has been getting stronger for 30 years. Yeah. Cause people want to see Frieza fight and lose. <laughs> yeah that is he's gonna boring. lose but I, I think that is mostly it fair enough christian do you have any other any other thoughts on uh why do we like our bad guys to keep coming back over and over and over well i mean tj's right i mean it worked the first time it got to the point where people love these characters so much well why can't they show up again it's like oh no that will <laughs> that'll just undo everything they did before and then some writer comes along and uh, just makes things up again and suddenly we have Palpatine back again, which can work. And I think Dark Empire handled it better. But uh. either way, I wasn't going to be happy with anything to do with the sequel trilogy. And I know everyone's surprised by that response. <laughs> but uh, it's just that they're, if it's a good villain, they're cool. So you want to see that True. villain again doing cool things. So you can go, I want to see them taken down again. But it can that's get a little rating. That's why I want the Morgoth prophecy to stick around. He's cool. He's so cool. He's like my favorite baddie. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I mean, for all except for like, I like two thirds of the sequel trilogy. <laughs> I agree with one third of your statement about that. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> Will, Will, did you have any any more thoughts on this? Or are we all just going to agree that it's because they're cool? Well, I, I think a, a hero is only as good as their villain or defeating their villain. So so that True. kind of rogues gallery, villain, 
you know, if, if there's a favorite villain, what's going to challenge your hero? And you got the top, you know, three of each person, each hero's rogue gallery. You want to see them come back. That's why, you know, Batman. All right. We're going to, we want to see a good Joker um, that get defeated, sent away, killed off or put in prison. They're eventually going to come back because there's going to level up. That this is their chief villain. So it's, they come back only yeah. because it's challenging the heroes. And we want to see character growth in our heroes. Um, is it just a broken record and saying, saying the same story and over and over again? Sometimes, but, but often if you get a good creator uh, who has their, character hero and villain um kind of uh, in their in their hand and responsibility they're going to try to write a story that's going to challenge their hero enough that make them grow or see the world through a different lens or perspective and and really that's what the the villains uh really it's tool and purpose is to to push our our heroes to the limit and and when you get a good one you get a good villain you don't want to keep put them on the on the shelf for too long yeah, yeah. it's another good villain that came back being the joker and batman beyond and how that was handled and how a different yeah, Batman cool. would work with the Joker because yeah. Harry's not going to do it the same way Bruce did. And it's much yeah. more effective in some respects. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or as and I'm it, looking into the future, it was really cool when the MCU brought Thanos back. <laughs> to prove that the young Avengers can take the same villain that the original Avengers Or did. young Thanos. Yeah. Who knows? Let's do Sorry, young TJ, Thanos. What were you saying? Young TJ? Sheldon. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really hard to write a good villain. So when you get one. Yeah, that's true. You got to keep them around. That's actually, that's one thing I will criticize the MCU about. They're too quick to kill good, bad guys. Killmonger needs to still be there, man. Mm. Um, another one that actually really bothered me that that is a good villain resurrection story, in my opinion, maybe resuscitate. I think it could go either way on this one because there's a few different versions of the story. But for those who don't know, the MCU changed Captain America coming back. In all the comic book versions, Red Skull comes back with him. They're either both trapped in the cube or they're both frozen, <laughs> which is what makes it compelling that they both come back together because it's kind of a we're bringing back this hero. But was it worth the stakes of bringing back Red Skull? And that's always one of the coolest storylines to kind of see because are, are, do we love our heroes as much or more than we hate our villains? You know, that's always a fun, fun one to think about for me. I love Look at America's, but I'm going to talk about that a little bit more when I, I do a little rant. I, I'm planned a rant for this, guys. Um, mm. But are we going to be able to share about our favorite heroes <laughs> that came back? Our favorite heroes? Well, that came back? yeah, that's, that's what I was about to say. Okay. So a, okay. it's a, a little bit easier to talk about when heroes come back. That, that also happens very, very commonly in comic books. Maybe Dragon Ball as well. TJ, I'm sure, will let us know. Um, <laughs> our protagonists have a tendency to also raise from the dead. DJ, why don't you start us off this time? You have any any heroes that you you want to talk about that came back from the dead? Goku, Krillin, Yamcha, Tien, Vegeta, <laughs> Piccolo, Gohan. Wait, did you list Vegeta in both? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything about the IP, but I assume that's funny. It, it makes sense, and in the same arc too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah, every character in Dragon Ball has died. I'm pretty sure. Great. Uh, and that's like. Part of the whole thing is like, yeah, they're they're just gonna come back when we get the Dragon Balls. Yeah, but I actually I want to talk about Kite from Hunter Hunter. Okay, mm. what is Hunter Hunter? I'm yeah. not familiar Tell me. with this IP. Hunter Hunter is excellent, written by the same guy who wrote uh, Yu Yu Hakusho and, and manga. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's just amazing. It's about a young boy who uh, whose father abandoned him, sorta, and it's just it's hard to explain. There's a group of people called the Hunters, and 
they don't really hunt anything, but they can. It's basically just you can get a license to do literally anything and just be really good at that. Yeah, but it's yeah. cool. It's shonen, so wait. So how's he mostly. come back? What's that story about? Kite is Gon is our main character. Jing is Gon's dad. Jing abandoned Gon, found Kite. He was Kite's mentor. Kite finds Gon, and he becomes Gon's mentor. If you're with me, sort of. <laughs> okay. Kite dies in mm-hmm. what is currently. Not the penultimate arc. That's crazy. Two arcs ago. The yeah. Chimera Ant arc. One of the best arcs in manga, in my opinion. Uh, Kite dies and is reborn as a Chimera Ant instead of a human. Hmm. It, it's really interesting twist on the concept of a resurrection. Because he comes back as something that is technically a villain. And something that killed him. And, you know, the thing that killed him was a Chimera Ant. Mm. Is it sort of like Red Hood? I mean, like he comes back, but he's a little bit more villainish now. No, or is he no, reincarnated? <laughs> reincarnated yeah. into a different entity, so that you have resuscitation, you have resurrection, you have reincarnation, it's where you like come back as something else. Gotcha. He's kind of like redigested into another entity. Redigested. <laughs> it, it's okay. Weird. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just gonna say, yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> sounds sounds like one of the things I need to follow along. You know. Speaking of, um, he, he said Hunter a lot during all that, and it just reminded me, Christian, stop me if I'm taking this away from you, but it's an ongoing joke in Supernatural it. that the heroes just came back to life too many times to the point that the character, there's a character who is death. One of the deaths decided that they just got so irritated with these guys coming back that their entire mission is just to not let them come back. I'm like, I'm not going to kill you, but next time you die, you're not coming back. I'm tired of this. It's just an ongoing joke. It was hilarious. Yeah, and, um, and it's the seasons where uh, it's eventually they go way beyond where they should should have been yeah. in season five. I mean, it's later discovered that the reason death they come times. back all the time, other than for the apocalypse part, is because they have plot armor directly gifted by God. Yeah, I I liked the last couple seasons, but there was like between five and like the last three or four, I was like, why? Why? Is, why? I still enjoyed it because you got a lot more of Crowley and. Uh, cast then and i like the characters but the plot was not great uh christian do you have any any heroes that have come back to life that you want to uplift well i have three josh uh, i'm not sure <laughs> a about trinity. that a trinity i might, I might keep you at two <laughs> let's uh, see well two of them are very closely related so i'll talk about them okay as fine a kind of a unit and <laughs> they're not who them. you would expect me to bring up uh, other than if you know who i really like now, my first one is actually going to be Buffy Summers from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And Good. in the fifth season, Buffy sacrifices herself to make sure her sister, who isn't actually her sister, but becomes her sister, is able to live a normal life. Yeah. She's dead, good and gone. Now, Buffy is the Vampire Slayer. That means her job is to fight vampires primarily. But the group of her friends, known as the Scooby Gang, they can't <laughs> do a job without her. So they find a way to bring her back to life and come to find out they took her away from heaven, which brings up its own can of worms with Josh Whedon's oh. <laughs> idea of theology is it horribly messed up. But it's an interesting concept for like if there was someone who believed in Christ, would God allow them to come back to life to be resurrected by someone, which I think is something to be talked about. Obviously, in Buffy, for those who are very familiar with it, Man. not very Christian based, but it's an interesting idea. That is fascinating. How would you answer that? I mean, depend, it would depend on if God thought that they needed to be here back again outside of paradise to do more work to bring glory to him mm. would be how I would answer that. Yeah. 
I definitely like don't Lazarus? think God's bringing like them back. <laughs> like Lazarus. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I definitely don't think God's bringing them back if he thinks there's a chance that they would fall into sin or something. Like he's he's not bringing them back unless he's like, okay, I know I got you. Uh, go do this and you'll be back here. No time. No time. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I like that idea of being on a secret mission though. Like God's like, <laughs> yeah, hey, I guess I'm going to equip you to head on back because you have a you have yeah. another mission. And there's that pass, that weird passage, I think it's in Matthew, where like – the graves are on Easter morning shake mm. and, and, and <laughs> yeah. people see people who are once dead walking zombies. around, like <laughs> yes. walking around. Yeah. There's zombies, but like, you know, what, what's their story? They're, do they keep living? Are they immortal? Or are they like, are they still here now today? Like hanging out just like as a secret society. I think there's a good story or movie there that we can do. And a friend of mine has a good idea about that. So man, let's write okay. that story. Let's write that story, Lee. Let's do it. I wrote a short story about, uh, one person during that time who ran into a spouse that uh, came back. Ooh. So that, that was a, I'm, okay. I'm, I wrote that back in like high school. So it's probably not great, but I'll, I'll probably put it on the website anyway, just for fun. Kicks and yeah. giggles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Christian, Christian, yes. you said you had more. Yes. I'm going to give you a chance. Are related by marriage. And I'm going to church rules. 10 words. seconds or less. Nope. <laughs> I want to talk as much as I want. This is my show now. Uh, my first one is, there was an old saying back in the day, you know, you don't bring back Uncle Ben, Jason Todd, uh, see Gwen Stacy and Bucky Barnes. Now, out of those, only one of those has remained permanently dead. And that's the one I'm going to be talking about who had a mini resurrection in Amazing Spider-Man 500, where after Dr. Strange's help, Spider-Man was something he is given about a couple of minutes to speak with Uncle Ben. And it was a very powerful story of Peter talking to him, letting him know he's Spider-Man, all the good things that he's done, and Uncle Ben encouraging him, like, keep fighting the good fight. That was an excellent story for the 500, 500th issue. I really love that. Now I go to my negative one, which involves Aunt May. This is the second time she's been brought back to life, would be during the events of One More Day. After the events of Civil War, where Spider-Man reveals his identity to the world, the Kingpin hires a, an assassin to kill him. She gets hit instead. And it comes to find out, even with all the super geniuses and sorcerers in the Marvel Universe, no one can solve a simple bullet wound. So Spider-Man has to sell his marriage to the Marvel analog to the devil. Otherwise, this old woman will die. And I say that loving Aunt May as a character. But what we got as a result, I've been very upset about for 15 plus years. <laughs> I liked yeah. the initial story, but it definitely spinned into like weirdness where I stopped reading. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, yeah, I, I, you, since you talked about partial resurrection, that kind of reminds me of, um, of Harry Potter. Mm. Um, well, not Harry Potter himself. I was thinking about his parents, but Harry Potter yes. himself also did resurrect, but that's, that's too obvious for us to talk about here, right? Like that's basically just the Jesus story. Um, but his parents definitely do come back in different scenes where you kind of see them still protecting him or caring about him. Also quick side note that I don't want to get into, but I do think it's amusing. The Bible does confirm the existence of ghosts if you believe it literally. So mm. that's a thing. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> um, I'm going to do my two and then let Will go. Um, of course I have to. I actually I had three, but I don't remember what the third one was. So whatever. Hypocrite. Um, Hypocrite. The Tenth Doctor. The Tenth Doctor. <laughs> tenth Doctor is my favorite. Um, yeah, I think it's confusing. My favorite. Um, I guess technically regeneration story, but this also gets to the question we want to talk about a little bit later on of, does it still kind of sacrifice if you know you can beat death? Um, 
he has a story where he talks about he really does feel death and he knows that it's coming. It's been prophesied. And he thinks – he goes through the story of the, um, of the end of time kind of stuff. He thinks he gets through it without having to do any – like without dying. He's like, oh, the prophecy was wrong kind of – you know, like he has a moment. You can see where he's relieved. Uh, then he sees an ordinary man. He sees Wilfred. Nothing really special about Wilfred. Nothing whatever. But he's trapped. He's trapped in a contraption where basically the only way to let him out is by getting into the other part of the contraption yourself. And the doctor sacrifices himself, experiences death for the sake of one ordinary man. Crazy powerful story. The, the way that David Tennant expresses the emotions, it's truly moving. It's all about sacrifice for the good of one other person. And of course, he regenerates into a much worse version of himself. But that's another that's another story. <laughs> um, my other resurrection story, to everyone's surprise, is going to be from Kingdom Hearts. Because mm, mm, I, I feel is. like this is one I overlooked for a little bit. <laughs> if you're drinking your mimosa Easter brunch today, y'all, it's a drinking game. Every time he says Kingdom Hearts, take a sip. Here we go. Take two if he mentions Darkwing Duck. When, he, <laughs> when we Darkwing Duck should have been in Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts four. I hope you're listening. Um, <laughs> sip, 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 okay, sip, sip. Okay, listen, listen. You get to Hollow Bastion, one of the last levels of the original Kingdom Hearts, and Riku defeats Sora. Sort of. He takes his key, unlocks him, and basically kills him. He separates his heart from his body. And in Kingdom Hearts lore, for those of you who don't know, your body goes on to become a nobody, which makes no sense. And your heart becomes a heartless, which, again, makes no sense. That's just how they did the names. It just works. Yeah. And you actually play part of the game as a little heartless, as the weakest form of heartless, too, which is funny because his nobody ended up being super powerful. Explain that. Um, but it's heartless and he's going around and he ends up being resurrected. Not it's kind of like flip of what the story usually is. Usually the hero was resurrected to save his friends and to save everybody else. And he is the savior. But in this story, he is resurrected by his friends from the love and the place in the heart of his friends that existed for him. He lived in their hearts. So whenever he was welcomed back to them, he was able to come back, defeat being evil. Cause you know, when you become a heartless, you are evil. The evilness was defeated by those he sacrificed for rather than him coming back to save them. So I thought it was kind of an interesting twist in what we usually see in the resurrection stories. So I, I really love that one. All that was Latin <laughs> to me. I understand some of the words that you said. I understand some of the words you said. Uh. They took that from Dragon Ball Z. That's how they brought back Goku. <laughs> mm. Mm. What happened first? Probably Genuine Dragon question. What happened first? Did it? Yeah. The original Kingdom yes. Hearts was a really long time ago, you know. Yeah. Dragon Ball Z started yeah. in the 80s. Well, Dragon Ball started in the 80s. Yeah. Man. Wild. Okay. Will. <laughs> oh, okay. My, my turn. Uh, so um, I grew up on X-Men comics, and if we know anything about the X-Men, uh, there's a lot of like uh, drama with love stories and villains coming back, but man, there's a lot of resurrections. And so uh, there's a couple people in there who constantly die and then come back, one of being uh, Jean Grey. Like, man, she's alive, she dies, comes back as Phoenix, and then she turns into Dark Phoenix, and then she dies, and then she comes back, and then she's just Miss Marvel, and then she's like, again, brought back as Phoenix. So like she, if Jean Grey dies, if she's the opposite of Uncle Ben, uh, like if she dies, she's going to come back at, at some point. And yeah. the, like the current state of the X-Men comics is that um, really any, they can bring anybody back. So there's this big question that 
um, on their own private island, they have their own way of resurrecting their heroes. So does death mean anything to them or in their kind of world? Because if they're just going to die and be brought back again, what does life mean? So they're playing around with that story a little bit, which I think um, has its moments that are good. And some moments have become kind of stale for me. But my chief favorite resurrection of all time uh, in comics and within the X-Men is when, again, we're back to Joss Whedon. He, uh, I know he's problematic, uh, but he wrote, um, when I started getting back in a comic in the early 2000s, he wrote Astonishing X-Men with one of my favorite uh, artists of all time, uh, John Cassidy. And so that first current run of Astonishing X-Men um, called Gifted really is like peak X-Men kind of peak comics. It is so freaking good. And uh, Colossus was dead. He died um, the big Russian, the big muscle of the group. I was a big fan of him as a kid. And, um, you know, he died in the nineties, uh, sacrificing himself because he was taking out this, this legacy virus that was infecting mm -hmm. all the mutants. So he sacrificed himself. And so he's been dead for a long time. And when I started reading comics again, uh, there's like a four, a couple page, um, of these panels of art that are my favorite panels in all of comics is when they brought colossus back there there's this the storyline is that um there there's rumors that the scientists have found a cure to the mutant gene and so they're wrestling with should i be cured or not what should happen they're going to investigate and so kitty pride uh peter's longtime uh girlfriend is investigating the basement of this uh research science facility and as she goes through she's being shot at by guns and behind her you hear like a clank and then there's this big big one page silent panel of Colossus standing there looking out. Um, and, and it's him and he runs to the people who are shooting at her and it just phases right through her. Cause she can phase thing. And then she doesn't say a word. She just puts her hand on her heart. Like, Oh my gosh, he's back. It is gorgeous. I get goosebumps thinking about it. It is, it is fantastic. So bringing Colossus back, one of my favorite X-Men in astonishing X-Men episode um, issue four and Gifted is is by far one of my favorite comic books of all time. I forget which universe it is. It might be the Ultimate Universe, but there is a universe where uh, on Marvel's website, this is super random of me. Um, for some reason, Colossus's speed stat is higher than Quicksilver's. Blows my mind. <laughs> well, he was always the muscle of the group, and even though you know he's Russian, he's a big brute, but he's also like got a kind heart, and he like he's a painter, he's an artist, and yeah. uh, you know a romantic, and so I always found him appealing. That like not only is he like the muscle of the group, but he also like way into art and is romantic and and all those things. So I uh, I was kind of disappointed that they had killed Colossus off, but then when yeah. Joss brought him back in, in that incredible way, it was. Um, uh, read that graphic novel, y'all. It is yeah. the the pacing, nice. the characters is is just awesome. Yeah, yeah. Legs are muscles too, Josh. But also, <laughs> fair. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned M Comics. That was enough for me. But then Josh just said Quicksilver. So in House of M, Quicksilver dies, and uh, Wanda just changes it, just resurrects him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she uh, says no more mutants in that House of M is another. Great. I, I thought it was a great crossover there when I started getting mm -hmm. back into comics again in the early 2000s and, and her saying no more mutants um, and then like killing off folks, but then bringing people back and her having that power. Yeah, that's a whole different thing of regeneration, reincarnation, resuscitation and resurrection. A lot of rewords there, but but all have <laughs> distinction, similarities, but also differences between. Yeah. yeah. Well, so you touched on it. Christian touched on it. 
Uh, when we talked about Supernatural, we touched on it. Supernatural does an interesting take, too. Of part of why one of the deaths didn't want to let them come back anymore is because death is what gives meaning to life. I always thought that was an interesting take because, you know, if life isn't finite, well, the value does change. You know, that makes sense. I mean, that's when, you know, think about Deadpool, the X-Men coming back over and over, that kind of thing. And it reminded me of something some of my friends have said who are atheist or agnostic, where they they understand Christ had to die for our sins. You, you had to pay the penalty. They don't get why he had to come back. Is it really a sacrifice if he knows he's going to come back? You know, like, whoop-de-doo, you died. You knew you were going to be back in three days. Uh, Will, how would you answer that? Let's uh, let's go to the pastor first. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think good. The, the show The Good Place played around with that too, that like what makes life meaningful good show. or deep is so good um, is death. Now, now, Christians have a different take. That's more of a kind of a, I guess, a, a Buddhist take on, on, on life and death. But I think um, um, for, for Christians, I, I think there, there is a different thing of a different aspect. Again, like I said earlier of resuscitation, reincarnation, um, dying again and resurrection, defeating death itself. And so, so for me, like, it's not just that, um, it loses an impact of Jesus knew he was coming back. Um, it's, it's this whole, like, um, a new, a new creation is birthed in Christ himself, where the rest of the, the firstborn of a new creation, where the rest of creation is going to follow in his wake and his path to a new chapter and a new life. And I think that is what he's drawing us into, um, with the resurrection, um, thinking of a new big bang of a new universe emerging, um, and, and that we're caught up in it, uh, with, with his resurrection. And so, um, I did have a, a, a new Testament professor in seminary, Dr. Siegel, brilliant Greek scholar who, depending on which gospel you read, um, you know, Jesus has a different personality or what he knows or he doesn't know when you get to John. <laughs> when you get to the gospel of John, Jesus knows a lot and he's super powerful and he knows all things and he has these long rants about stuff. If you go to Mark, he he, he may not know as much um, or his humanness shines a little bit brighter in a sense of um, not not uncertainty, but is he is is he surprised on Easter morning like the rest of us? <laughs> um, Doctor Siegel like, had oh, a, man. I'm back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was kind of like he he was he thought himself as if he was human, really human, hundred um, percent human. Then there was this aspect of uh -huh. like finite to his own knowing things or 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 living his life. And so perhaps you know speculation. The the scriptures don't write that out. But maybe on Easter morning he's like, whoa. I am back. So that whole sacrifice of like going to the cross, not knowing if that's the final end or not, or if, uh -huh. or if, if he is defeated or if, or if he's a failure, that whole, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me bit yeah. that, that there is a sense of like, oh man, this is it. But then on Easter, oh wow, I'm, I'm back. So he, Dr. Siegel played around with that a little bit that helped me see Christ in a different way. And it does, I think all, all the gospels, they don't necessarily disagree with each other, but there's a different take and, and they can all hang out in the same room together, these different perspectives on what Christ knew or didn't and, and what the crucifixion and resurrection um, means yeah. uh, for the future. So I, I think there, there, there are, it was a real death uh, and it was a real resurrection. And then um, because of that, I have the hope that death doesn't have the final word in my life or in my loved one's lives because of his resurrection. So that's what I would say. The impact is still there because of, of a new universe and new birth, new creation that's emerging from that tomb. So basically, your your 
combining why Superman resurrected and why Sora came back in Kingdom Hearts. Like it, it's it's both. Yeah, he came back to save us, but also we're kind of a part in that part of the new life that's come back. Like we can't have new life unless he also has new life. Yeah, yeah, one percent. I don't understand the Kingdom Hearts reference one bit, but I do understand the the Star Wars reference. I mean, the <laughs> Superman reference. Um, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think that's what it is. It's like just just as you know, um, all of creation was caught up with what happened at the beginning on day one in Genesis. Uh, there's there's an eighth day or a new day one when it yeah. comes to Easter morning that then emerge and evolves that we're caught up in as well. All right, uh, TJ, what what do you think? Is it Still really call should it still be called a sacrifice if you know you're gonna come back? Uh well, it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Don't elaborate, keep it there. Thus the question. <laughs> That's the answer. That's honest. That's honest. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Christian, did you wanna respond to any of this? I, I know I think your view of the gospels might be a little bit more coherent as maybe will and i's i'm trying to think of the right word i feel like you coherence call not it. Muddled? <laughs> I, I feel I'm, like we we hold more of a these are different authors who didn't necessarily have the same thing in mind but we can get to a truth through that whereas i believe you take more all of the gospels are literal and work together kind of thing that's fair is that i mean that? for for the original question i mean i would ask those same people okay look I'm going to give you everything you've ever wanted. Your family's going to be okay. All your friends are going to be okay. But what has to happen is I need to torture you relentlessly. I need to whip you. I need to make you suffer. I need to make you carry this cross and you're going to die painfully. Now, you're going to be back in three days. How many people say yes to that? Yeah. I, I will tell you, I mean, in my weakness, my answer is no. I mean, there are some days I might say yes, but- even knowing, like, it's a guarantee, like, no uh, genie messing with you right here. Like, it's going to happen if I do these things to you. Mm. I don't know if I can say yes every day. But Jesus, even Jesus, when he's there at the garden, just praying to God, like, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. He didn't want to die. And even knowing what's going to happen, all the good things as a result, because it's going to suck to get there. True. And yeah, that's how I see it. It's like even knowing the result, going through that pain doesn't make it any easier. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to kind of that that eighth day of creation analogy that that the church has lifted up in the past, that it's like this new beginning. We've we've had seven, you know, stages of creation, you know, um, and and then where we are now, we continue to grow and expand and evolve. This this eighth day of a new start with Jesus, I think is, is the matter. And I think, um, you know, I, sometimes I think we do think of like the cross with the passion of Christ as like this violent act that God had to do, but it's really like, I see that, that like the so, that God is in solidarity with humanity in our brokenness so that a new creation can emerge from that. Um, and, and I, I think it is captured if, um, I, I challenge our, our listeners to go back and read Psalm 22, that it starts off with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's mm -hmm. almost like this the, uh, illusion and metaphor and prophetic nature of the actual passion of Christ. But it ends with, it ends with this verse of that even the dust in the ground 
will praise, will be raised and, and praise the Lord. That Jesus on the cross, as he's an authentic question, God, where are you? He's also like singing his favorite hymn from the Psalms, knowing that the last word is new life and resurrection. Um, and I think that's powerful that even on the cross um, in his suffering and the, the questions he's wrestling with, he has this hope that as God has been faithful in the past, he's, God is going to be faithful in the future. And even those in the dust who have died are going to raise and praise the Lord. So sorry to preach here on Easter. I probably already preached. If you're <laughs> listening to this, I've already preached my Easter one. But I, I, I still, I go back to Psalm 22 all the time. Read that and reflect on Christ's mission, his passion, and also like the hope of all creation of, of a new day and a new start and a new creation emerging from, from his resurrection. Well, I'm going to be annoying and go back again to what Christian was saying <laughs> with the with the suffering and, and all of that. Um, it also gets into something that's mentioned in both the Apostles' Creed and the Athanasian Creed. Um, yeah, I'm getting creedal on everybody today. Mm. Um, <laughs> Jesus is harrowing to hell. Did Jesus go to hell to get the keys kind of deal? Did he defeat hell? I mean, that's something that personally I believe. And that's where, you know, I think it's less that he suffered and less about the fact that he sacrificed and more about the fact that no, he had to go there so that we didn't have to and defeat it. And there was only one way to do that. And that's sort of, you know, getting to the, the lore of the Bible, I guess, sort of deal, but that's sort of, you know, that that's how I'm viewing a lot of that through kind of that lens. And that's why I brought the doctor up earlier is that was one of those moments that really stuck with me that made me understand Jesus's sacrifice better was that he said, no, I still feel death. I still experience it. I don't want to, I don't want to go as the, as a, the doctor says. <laughs> right. And that's what I imagine now, which, and I know that's like silly and crazy, whatever, but that, that emotion is what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking of Jesus on the cross that I don't want to go, but he knows he has to Christian. But it also shows his great faithfulness to God in that moment of submission and doing what no one else would probably do in the same way. And that, that boggles the mind to see Jesus in that situation, even knowing what's going to happen. And it just reminds me of how good he is to us that, you know, maybe, I mean, I think I'm with you, Josh, and he did go, you know, into hell, into Sheol as well to bring the faithful <laughs> to heaven. I'm not a purgatory guy. I do know there are people who are listening who are, so if, if that does exist, he probably went there too. But to separate himself from life in order to do that is so powerful, even knowing the end result. Because once again, who is going yeah. to say yes to that? Yeah. All right. Real quick, Will. Yeah. So I actually have a graphic novel called The Harrowing of Hell by nice. Evan Dom. And he's not necessarily a Christian. We we interviewed him back with Theo Khan and, and Shana Watson in the past. But man, we interviewed him, talked to him, and the whole book is in black and white and red. And it's an amazing story of what could be as Christ going into hell, then emerging on, on Easter Day. Fantastic book, like graphic novels. So I'll make that plug. But then also one of my favorite icons of all time, like Greek Orthodox icons is the icon of the resurrection where Jesus is standing over the graves of Adam and Eve and he's grabbing their hands and pulling them out of the mm. grave. So that sense of um, all of creation, Adam and Eve, all of humanity, um, Jesus goes to death, grabs the keys of death and pulls humanity out of the grave to a new life. It's a, I love that icon. Yeah. Um, you can pull up, there's different versions of it, but, but that's kind of the standard Greek Orthodox yeah. icon of, of the resurrection. I'm thinking of Jesus saving, you know, even Adam and Eve and people before his resurrection. That's where you get really timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. Um, 
Sorry. Okay. I, the opportunity was there, you know? Um, I, I do want to, though. I, I said I was going to go on a rant. So I'm going to I'm going to make it a quick rant if I can. Another? I then let, let TJ. This is my first rant of the episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> and let TJ speak in response first because uh, I'm kind of interested on everybody's take. But I'll, I'll start there. Um, and it's basically that the Christ figure language that we use. You know, a lot of times when we're talking about this kind of stuff, you're talking about Superman. He died and he came back. Oh, see, he was a Christ figure or, you know. Um, who, who, who else? I mean, the, the name of Captain America gets named one. Lots of people get named the Christ figure. First, I want to say, from my understanding, this Christ figure is actually just more a literary term at this point than anything. It's more of a, this is just a trope that happens in literature, happens a lot in comics. So we're not saying that this necessarily makes them a Jesus type person. So, so this is where it gets fun. I think since Superman was created by Hebrew believers, I think he was more likely to be a Joseph, you know, figure or maybe a Moses figure kind of deal. I would argue Daniel figure real quick. All of these, I would say, are Christ figures in several different ways. Um, when you're thinking of like Daniel or Joseph, Joseph might be easier. You know, he gets thrown into the pit. He comes back up and he ends up saving everybody. And it is kind of, to me, it's supposed to be kind of a picture of what's going to happen with the Messiah. Now, I don't think the original author intended that or meant that, but just like C.S. Lewis writes of a lot of the Psalms that we talk about around Easter, like what Will was talking about, C.S. Lewis says, yeah, a lot of these Psalmists had an original truth, but it had a deeper truth that they didn't even know about. And that's what I think is true when you look at the, the Joseph story, the Daniel story, especially, you know, when he goes to the lion pit, it comes back. Or when the only time that you don't have Daniel's name written in one of the stories of the first six chapters of Daniel is uh, with the story where uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the furnace and there's a fourth man. Why is that the only chapter Daniel's not mentioned? Who is the fourth man? It's the same thing. Daniel is a picture of the Messiah that will one day come. Again, I don't think the original author meant that, but I think that was the deeper truth that's there. So when I think about Superman, I don't think they were trying to write a Christ figure, but I do think there was something there that's a deeper truth than the author originally intended. That's sort of my rant. That's my whole rant. <laughs> is that... Superman, though he might not have been intended to be a Christ figure, maybe he was a Daniel figure or a Joseph figure. Those are also Christ figures, though. That's my take. How would you respond to that, TJ? Sure. Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love TJ. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to Systematic Geek. <laughs> All right, Christian. Christian, do you have uh, anything you want to add or respond to that? I mean, most definitely when Superman first shows up on a scene, he is a Moses figure. He's, he's got the Moses story of being sent away by his parents to somewhere safer where hopefully he can be raised by good and yeah. caring people. Uh, I've never really thought of him as like a Daniel figure, so I'll have to think about that later on. And <laughs> Joseph, I kind of see as well uh, now that you mention it, but uh, definitely Moses would be my priority. And obviously he's not intended primarily as a Christ figure from his beginning being written by two Jews. Now, later on, unfortunately, what you get with comics is, and sometimes to its good, sometimes to its evil, is you get new writers. Mm -hmm. And new writers are going to write whatever they want. And the original doesn't matter to them. So Superman has become, and I like how you put it, the literary trope of a Christ figure along the way. But that was not his mm -hmm. original intent. Yeah. Which also, fun thing, when we're talking about the Gospels, uh, or maybe just the whole New Testament, I'm not sure if it's directly in the gospels for both of these, but Christ is both called the new Moses and the new Adam at different points. So 
yeah, again, original authors might not have intended that, but there was a deeper truth there. Will, final yeah, words on this. I, I'll, I'll agree with Christian that I think Superman was originally written as as that Moses figure, put in the basket, sent down the river to a, to a new land, <laughs> a new people, and then kind of a fish out of water and trying to find his new identity, uh, see himself as I'm an alien in a new world kind of thing. What does that mean? Um, and, and I, I think, I think that's, and people write, you know, when there's death and resurrection or resuscitations, people use that, that trope. I, I think, but if you, even if you read the, again, back to the gospels and their like theological bent to the, the context of the, the people that they're speaking to their congregation, they're speaking to, I mean, Matthew, uh, Jesus is the Moses figure. I mean, he is, you know, that you have the escape to Egypt when he's little, you have him. Uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, given a different, uh, a new Torah or a, or a fulfillment of the Torah, and and mm-hmm. so he's he's very Moses-like in in Matthew specifically because Matthew's writing to a predominantly Hebrew um, uh, community, and so yeah. they're using those imageries. So Jesus is the new Moses for people, and then Paul picks up the language of a of a new Adam um, for for uh, the community as well. So so yes, yeah, it's, it's all there, and I think they all build off each other. There's continuity within within those storylines and a foreshadowing of what God's ultimate, um, you know, story is for us and, and our stories and and how we live our lives. See, that's why I let the pastor go last this time. He knows the Bible a little bit better than some of us. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I have like this, uh, for those of you who are adventure, adventure time fans, um, I forget what the one character is called, but he has approximate knowledge of all things. So he gets everybody's name almost correctly, almost guesses where people are hiding. That's sort of how, how I am with the Bible. I have approximate knowledge of a I have lot my of moments. the Bible. I have my moments with yeah. that too. Don't worry. Like, you know, I know that Paul or one of the Gospels or somebody in this side of the Bible said this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, for those of you who want to know in real life, if we're talking outside the Bible, just all things. Uh, that That's actually TJ in real life. He does have approximate knowledge of all things. It's pretty odd. I'll say that or not. Yeah. Thankfully, approximate is a big word. Yeah, it is. So so the last question I want to end on here is a big one for me personally. Um, Reza Aslan is a religious scholar, someone I really enjoy reading his work. Um, he, as, as his own religion, he is Muslim, but he does secular religion work, if that makes sense. Like he, he studies it unbiased as he can, but he does lay out his own story so that you do kind of know and he writes this book called Zealot about Jesus. A lot of good, a lot I don't love in it. There's a lot there. I definitely recommend it to anybody who's willing to be challenged and wants to understand more of what's going on in that time period better. But what's interesting is from a secular point of view, just doing the religion work, trying to go through what was Jesus's story, he gets to that resurrection bit. And what's funny is if you go through any serious historian of religion or of Middle Eastern times, you kind of get this thing of, no, there was a guy who definitely was named Jesus, uh, and they definitely did kill him, and it definitely was suggested that he was resurrected. How do we make sense of this? And the thing that Reza Aslan points out that's really interesting is there was tons of people who did the same miracles that are talked about in the Gospels that Jesus did. There were tons of people who were going around calling themselves Messiah, who had similar birth stories to what you see in Matthew. There were tons of Messiahs, air quotes, and yet... What made this Jesus guy different is he was the first one to claim to resurrect himself. (laughs) And that's where the rubber hits the road kind of deal. That's what makes Jesus significant. Um, But I I guess my question is more of a, is that the only thing that makes Jesus the only Messiah we remember? It's just that he claimed to resurrect. Is there other things that make Jesus unique from, you know, a more 
you know, if we're going to try to put our atheist hats on or our hats of like questioning things outside of just the fact that we do believe this, what else makes Jesus unique other than just, you know, other people call themselves Messiah? Is it just the resurrection? I think actually being the Messiah did help personally. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> TJ has a hat. That's... I could drop. Could you could you tell tell everybody what your hat says? The hat says make Advent great again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's make Easter great again. Fair enough. <laughs> Christian. Outside of the fact that, you know, we believe he was the Messiah and he claimed to resurrect, was there anything else that made Jesus special compared to the other messiahs? Well, how could I possibly follow that up? Um it's because he did what he said. Everyone, there have been plenty of figures across time and space who have said, I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to come again. Jesus is the only one who has actually done that. And you have plenty of people, plenty of great scholars, some who started Christians, some who started atheists, some who started agnostics, so on and so forth, who have gone back. We've had lawyers go back and look. We've had criminal investigators, policemen, FBI agents look at the resurrection of Jesus and say, is this story factually true? And most of them are going to walk away with yes, because it's consistent. Because there are things like the disciples being emboldened after his death, when they are a bunch of losers who Mm. never would have done this without a hope in their lives. I mean, we can talk about that all day, but it's because he did what he said he would do. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to add a couple things before it, because I feel like Will needs to be the the final final hit on this um the there, there's so much that that's just unique about the thing so being a doctor who fan you know i do believe in set points in time and sip, i think sip, there's a sip 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 oh i was trying to figure what's he doing that's not that wasn't one of them that wasn't one i didn't say kingdom hearts yet it was or darkwing duck um i um no, no, no. So, so we believe, I believe there are some things that are set points in time. And I think that there was intentionality when Jesus came into our world. We have the Roman Empire that just completely stomps out any rebellion that tries to rise up, that well documents everything that happens, and that's the best torturers of all time. <laughs> and that's when God decides to come down to earth and manifest himself. And that's where... You know, even if, you know, you're not going to believe he is the Messiah, what makes him different is uh, it was a lot more well-documented thanks to the Romans. And there's this huge question of um, there's an empty tomb. There is the cross that was put there by the Romans. There's all these things put by the Romans. They could have easily stomped out this new movement and they didn't. There's no logical reason why they wouldn't have. And I think that is the biggest like um, history is kind of on the side of this guy being different. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I forget what my other one was, so I'm going to let it go. <laughs> Will. Yeah, I um, you guys said a lot and, and there's a lot there and it makes me think of a lot of things. But I, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think there's the, there's an aspect of there's been plenty of martyrs, plenty of people who have sacrificed themselves and, and, and plenty of people who have led um, 
you know, rebellions and groups of people to a new way of thinking the world. But there, there's this particular Jesus of Nazareth who we claim as Christ. There've been other messiahs in Christ too. I mean, Messiah just means anointed. So David was a messiah. <laughs> they were looking for that was really a political term of of anointing someone to be a leader in your group, Christ or Messiah. So um, they really wanted Jesus to be that new King David, earthly ruler. But um, it, it was a whole different um, level in terms of like the way he presented what a Messiah should be or do, and then claim to be God incarnate uh, in the midst of that. And that uh, Jesus decided to embrace the cross rather than use means of power to torture other people, to bend their will towards them. He decided to go to the cross for us too, that there's a difference of um, the love of power and the power of love. And and he embodied incarnate, incarnated um, what love meant. I, th- I think of like every Monday, Thursday, we read, um, the passes of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and him saying, you know, new commandment I give you that you love one another. I'm like, hey, what do you mean a new commandment? There's been a lot of leaders who said love one another. But what's new <laughs> about this particular commandment is that actually love incarnate is washing feet and drawing us into what love means um, moving forward as we seek to follow him. So I, I think that's what makes that that different um, and, and differences. Yeah, um, yeah, the resurrection um, as we've said before, is different from resuscitation or regeneration or reincarnation. And so I think that definition helped set him apart um, as well um, moving forward on this uh, Easter season. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just like you were talking about, like with the new life, I, I, I think just building on what you said is a lot of you are the people who were claiming Messiah at that time were claiming that they came to save everyone. And Jesus was claiming that he came to serve everyone. And And I think that's a huge thing when we talk about what that new life means and choosing to be alive in Christ means that we're not choosing to save people. Our job isn't to go out there and save everybody. Our job isn't out there to, you know, be conquerors. We're not King. Our job, (laughs) our job is to serve. And I think um, that's why I like Easter a lot more than good Friday. Good Friday is a good day, but Easter is when, when life comes back. Yeah. TJ, any final words? No. With that, How we're going awesome. to go to the wrap up <laughs> for our first our first one shot. Uh, it was a little bit longer than a regular episode. Not that much longer. It might not even be our longest episode. I'm not sure. In the future, uh, I'm sure some of our one shots will be longer. But today uh, we're going to leave it sweet and simple talking about the new life that comes with the resurrection of Jesus and why he was different than the other messiahs like Superman or the doctor or the Vegeta. Is that his name? I don't know. Um <laughs> I, I do want to start with recommendations. Uh, I'm going to be I'm going to be specific with everybody. We we gave a lot today. What is your one recommendation for people to follow a resurrection story in a fandom? Uh, we already mentioned the Harrowing of Hell comic by Evan Dom. Is that right? Yeah, I think. Am I looking at the right thing? Okay, mm-hmm. I want to make sure I have it on my list because that looked interesting. Um, naturally, I'm I'm going to go with uh, the Tenth Doctor, The End of Time. It is a two parter. Uh, you don't need a lot of context other than just know who the doctor is. And uh, yeah, powerful story. Great times. TJ, did you have a, a resurrection story you'd like to recommend to everybody? You can't say um, the Bible. <laughs> Christian, the Gospel think, of Luke. <laughs> you think, uh, Matthew, do you think Isakai's count? That's reincarnation for the most part. Mm, I guess. I'll count it. I'll allow it. <laughs> Mushoku Tensei, Jobless Reincarnation, which, mm. yeah, that is reincarnation, isn't it? You rec- recommended this on our Christian <laughs> podcast. Yeah, it's good. Listen, just wait till I finish. Um, 
the Bird King and then convince Will to read it. We're going to be doing that. <laughs> what is the Bird King? G. Willow Wilson's uh, sci-fi book oh. that involves a gin. It's a lot of fun. I think I've read a couple first couple issues of that. I would yeah, like to. It's a collected trade. I'll I'll definitely read that book. I don't think it's a comic. I think it's just a novel. Uh, oh, okay. I'm not sure though. As a matter okay. of fact, I will recommend One Piece because there is a reincarnation in One Piece. You just haven't gotten there yet, Josh. Oh, okay. Fair enough. He's going to recommend that I keep watching. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's Christian. Crazy. What's your resurrection story you're recommending? <laughs> Well, I had to cut one so I didn't take too much time away from my other hosts, but I'm going to recommend those of you who are really interested in the Dresden Files. I'm not going to spoil who it is, but there is a resurrection that happens, I believe, in the 12th or 13th book of a major character that their loss, their being dead in the first place, impacts the world tremendously. So them being brought back to life changes things for the better, some would say, and some would say for the worse. Hmm. Interesting. Will, I know yeah, you already I'm, gave one, but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on astonishing X Men. Uh, I know Joss Whedon is complicated and cancelable, and uh, you don't want to give him any money or support. But just think, the money's going to go to Marvel and Disney, not not him. So uh, Joss Whedon, uh, gifted uh, John Cassidy's the artist, and that the the resurrection of Colossus and his and everybody's his teammates' reaction to him coming back, and then his reaction of coming back, and what happens after. Yeah, um, it is is fantastic. So so yeah, go read that. One of my yeah. favorite stories in, in all of comics. And for everybody who's uh, drinking their mimosas and haven't quite hit that buzz yet, I will also recommend Kingdom Hearts and Kingdom Hearts 1.5 and Kingdom Hearts 1.8 and Kingdom Hearts 2 and Kingdom Hearts 2.5 and Kingdom Hearts 2.5 and Kingdom Hearts 3. Woo! And I'm passing Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance and Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories and 358 over 2. <laughs> all right, guys. I, I think we've had a, enough silly ridiculousness. Everybody... Enjoy hunting Easter eggs and uh, hanging out with your family, eating ham, which isn't as good as turkey. But don't worry, better holidays will come. Um, <laughs> go to our website, systematicgeekology.org. You can hit the host tab. All of our names are there. You can see all the episodes that we're on if you want to avoid them or check them out, either one. And of course, uh, go rate and review the show on uh, on Podmatch. That always helps us. And uh, get merch. You know, on our website, we have a shop link. You can go see all the kind of cool shirts. About half of them are eventually going to just be quotes from TJ, where he says funny things, and I turn it into a T-shirt, like a uh, uh, giant lizard breathing fire on a town. We Attempts. we need some resurrection T-shirts, like something yeah. in my favorite resurrection. Well, you know, I'm waiting on TJ to have a good resurrection catch line. Oh, my bad. Yeah, it turns <laughs> I'll out think about it next time I'm alive. Yeah, <laughs> that's the T-shirt. I'll think about it next time I'm alive. All right, guys, remember. <laughs> Boom! Nailed it. We got one. and of course guys remember we are all a chosen people a geekdom of priests this was an Anazal Ministries podcast if you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network